You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. See, the big problem with children is this they grow up to become us. You think about it. That's the problem with kids these days. They grow up to become us. When I was a kid, I thought anything was possible. My mother, uh, she sewed buttons on my shirt every single Sunday. Why? Because I would go to church on Sunday, and I would be around all of the kids at church, and we would be all hyped up and crazy and running around, and somewhere along the line, I would envision that I actually became the Incredible Hulk, and that I would grow this green skin and grow gigantic, and I would tear my shirt wide open, and all the buttons would pop out. My, my mother went through, I would say, I mean, she bought stacks and stacks of buttons and re-sewed buttons on my shirt every Sunday for like 18 years. <laughs> I was only slightly exaggerating, just so you know, just slightly, right? Um, no, actually, probably for a period of about three years, she sewed buttons back onto my shirt every <laughs> single Sunday. I was an imaginative kid. I don't know if you were or not. Uh, some of you were reckless kids. Jake, uh, some of you were, uh, some of you were artsy kids and some of you were nerdy kids or whatever. I was an imaginative kid. I could conjure up things with my imagination, picture them, sculpt them, draw them. I mean, you name it. And church was a place full of imagination. I would get to church on a Sunday morning and I would sit down in the pew because we had pews. Those are things for those of you who don't know what pews are. They're these wood benches that are like medieval toys torture devices that they make children sit on on Sunday mornings and try to stay quiet. Um, but I would sit in this pew and the and as I went to church and the, the pastor would get up and preach, I would draw everything that came to my mind as he was preaching. And there was all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I've talked about this before here, but um, Jesus always had gigantic like Rambo muscles. Always. Always. And uh, I didn't... I'm, yeah, maybe he was patterned after Rambo. I don't know. But he was this gigantic guy, and I would draw pictures of him, and it was this place that was full of imagination. And, and I think back on that as, as a child, and I think back on Easter, and I think back on holidays, and I think back on church, and I think back on my life, and I realize that, man, being a kid is awesome. Who here thought that they could fly? Raise your hand if that's what you could fly when you were a kid. Who here tried to fly when you were a kid and failed? Okay, Ray, you did. Did you try to jump off of a roof? It's fine in Canada. There's always snow, so you didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't matter, right? No, you didn't break anything. I tried to jump off a roof once, but that was because I fell off while I was roofing. But it's another story. Um, yeah, as a kid, we think that we can fly. We believe that we can fly. We believe that we can have superpowers. Um, if any of you grew up in the Star Wars generation, did you think that... Yeah, okay, Jack, you're already shaking your head. Did you believe that you had the Force? Yeah, did you try to move things with your mind? Josh, you still do, don't you? Yeah, yeah that happens. But see, that's the beautiful thing of being a kid is that there is wonder and, and power. And as a kid, you realize, you believe that the impossible things can be possible. And then some dumb adult comes along and reminds you that the impossible is actually impossible. 
and pushes that idea into your head until it chokes everything of what it means to be a kid out of you. Now some of us adjust really well to this, and we call those people realists. Some don't adjust so well, they still have a lot of hope for the world, we call them fools. No, I mean optimists. I'm an optimist, it's fine. But this is what I love about Easter. This is what I love about Jesus is because in the face of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as you come to the storyline and you read what happens in Jesus' life as He lives and He talks and He speaks and He teaches and then He dies a horrible death. Like you should be, your heart should be broken. But then you keep reading the pages and what happens? The stone rolls away. And he comes back. And he walks around. And he meets and he greets and he talks and he teaches and he does exactly what he was doing before. He's eating fish and he's hanging out with his disciples and he's meeting people. And the power of the resurrection reminds you, just like you should know as a child, it reminds you that the impossible is totally possible. The impossible is totally possible. This is a powerful idea. Kids have powerful ideas, although they may not be founded very well, but this is not a kid's story. This is the most powerful idea of human history. Today is Easter. It's a very special day in the church calendar. I would say it's the most important day in the church calendar. Thousands of people from around the world have been observing this season for the last period of months in some cases. There have been people fasting. There have been people changing the rhythm of their lives. There have been people literally carrying crosses every day for the last 40 days. There are even some who came on Friday that I challenged to carry a bag of rocks for three days. But today we come to the thing that distinguishes this thing that we call the Christian faith. It distinguishes it apart from everything else. This is a a powerful day of remembrance. It's a powerful day to remember something that is not something that simply happened, but is something that is a current and real thing in our lives. Because we're observing the powerful idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like I said before, when the stone rolled away, the impossible became possible once again. And the power of God became tangible and alive. And I don't know if you if you know that, if you know that power, if you've seen that, if you've studied that, if you've learned about it, but if you've also embraced that with your heart. If you haven't been part of Common Ground over the last few weeks, um, what we've been doing is we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, one of my favorite parts about planning sermon series is that um, we just kind of lay them out into a into a calendar and see what fits. Like this time, like Nick and I were like, I don't know, First Corinthians sounds good. Let's try that. And we just picked it and put it into a calendar. And as we put it into a calendar week in and week out, we had First Corinthians 12, which was a passage about one body, many members. And that happened to be the week our missionary friend Scott was here. Um, we, we've had things line up so that the scriptures are actually speaking to the things in our lives. Lives. And today is no different. If you notice, the 
the First Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some supplied for you. They're in the chairs if you, uh, if you want. Otherwise, you can download an app and find it in whatever uh, version you so desire. But we're in First Corinthians chapter 15 today. And if you notice, right when you turn to First Corinthians 15, the heading on the, on the top of the chapter is what? The resurrection of Jesus. I mean, we didn't work our way backwards. It just fell into place this way. And I just can't. I mean, it's, I love it because it's a softball here. And we've been studying this book. Now, 1 Corinthians, what this is, is it's a letter from Paul to a church that he helped start. A group of people, much like yourselves, in a city that is uh, a trade city, uh, a four-port city, a city with different, uh, a couple of different ports. And these ports are, are the trade routes where east meets west. It's a bustling city. It's a city that's affluent and is incredibly um, wealthy. And so we've been studying this letter particularly, trying to hear what Paul has to say to this church. Because what we find out as we read the letter is this church is a church that started, it grew, it grew strong, and it grew... It grew powerfully and quickly, but shortly after Paul left to go start other churches, the church went sideways, started to grow out of order. And so what happened is these people started becoming very self-centered, self-focused, where church was about them. And when they were sitting here, when they were sitting in their church, they were wondering, why is this not my, my, why is this not my style? Why does it not go this way? Why are these people not applauding me for everything in my life? And this is what Paul is writing about. It's a church that has a lot of selfishness and self-focused problems. It was a very self-focused, self-seeking, prideful, arrogant place, and much had gone wrong. And what we've been studying over the last 15 weeks is we've seen that when this works its way into the life of the church, things fall apart quickly. And unfortunately, we can read this and you can really get a sense for, wow, this sounds like he's writing to an American church in this particular time frame. Because there's a lot of issues that are going on here that we deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. But today, Paul's getting to the end of his letter, and he's about to talk about what he feels is the most important idea, the most powerful idea, the most impossible becoming possible idea that has ever, like, has ever been in front of the face of mankind. Today, Paul's talking to to his church about the resurrection. And so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15. I'm only going to read about 26 verses. This is actually a fairly long chapter. And there's some really cool stuff in here. I'm just going to encourage you to study it on your own. If you're part of a refuge group, hopefully your refuge groups will be meeting this week talking about this text. But there's stuff in here about what does it look like when the resurrection happens? How do like how do I exist? What happens to my body? What happens to my soul? Some of the deep questions of our world are addressed right in here. But I'm going to read the first 26 verses. And uh, I think 26. I'll just stop when I feel like it. And, uh, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. So he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. At last he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that's within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits. Then, when the end comes, he will stand over the kingdom to, excuse me, he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Then he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is a powerful segment of Scripture. Paul says some really big things here. He says, hey, this is, without this resurrection thing, you are lost. You are, you're done. Your faith is useless. If Jesus is only Savior and idea, if He's only resurrected, if He's only alive because you somehow hope He is, if He didn't literally, physically raise from the dead, then your faith is useless. Paul begins this section reminding his people about the power and the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. That according to the Scriptures, Jesus came. He died for our sins, just as the Scriptures proclaimed. He was buried physically, and three days later, He rose from the dead physically and literally. He then appeared to people repeatedly, and they saw Him, spoke to Him, asked Him questions, and even watched Him return to the Father. That's how he starts this off. Think about how big and powerful that is. This is such an amazing thing. And it's a dividing point in human history. See, every historian and archaeologist, every historian and archaeologist on the face of the planet has to at least wrestle with the fact that Jesus was a human, that He at least was born, that He at least lived, and that He at least led some sort of big movement. In fact, we, we block our calendars off into after, before Christ and after. This is something that everybody wrestles with. That he was a real person, really existed 2,000 years ago. History proclaims that, archaeology proclaims that, sociology, everybody, every science, every soft science out there, sorry engineers, um, every one of those, they proclaim the fact, the fact that Jesus Christ lived and died. But when it comes to the idea of not just living and dying, but the idea that He rose from the dead. You don't see that every day. 
that he wasn't just a figure or some sort of apparition or some sort of spirit or some sort of ghost or even just an idea, but that he physically resurrected, physically met with his followers, physically met with the 500 other people, walked around, shook their hands, touched them and talked to them and then ascended to the Father. Jesus returning from the dead, not secretly, but very, very publicly. This is the claim of Paul and the disciples and the others throughout all of the next, or the last 2,000 years. And for Paul, the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. For, for Paul, the resurrection means that Jesus is who he said he was. When he claims that he's the Son of Man who's going to ascend to heaven, when he claims that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One, when he claims that he is bigger than just a human teacher, that he is bigger than just some religious leader, that he is bigger than all of these things, when he claims that that is the case, he better do something to prove it. And in Paul's mind, coming back from the dead is a pretty good evidence. But most importantly to Paul... The resurrection shows that Jesus is the one who changes everything. Not simply in in ideals or in some sort of code of ethics or some sort of morality. But Jesus will change, literally change everything in the human existence. The way that we experience this world, the way that we experience the things of this world, Jesus will defeat them and flip them on their head. He starts off with death in his own body by defeating that and flipping that on his head. And then Paul says that the end goal in his mind, the end goal in his ministry is to defeat powers and dominions and authorities. And eventually at the end, to set aside and defeat death completely for us. That's what the resurrection means to Paul, is that for you, for me, death is done. You don't have to be afraid of it anymore. You get to laugh in the face of death and say, bring it on because that is not the end. And that is what Jesus not only proclaimed and taught, but He proved it. He doubled down His money and He proved it by coming out of the grave. And showing to you and to me that this this life is a blink, is nothing more than a blink compared to the beauty and glory of eternity that that faces you and awaits you. See, Paul believes, because he's read his Bible, or the Old Testament in Paul's mind, that Jesus, He came to bring the completion, bring to completion, and to bring to fulfillment, and to bring healing to everything that went wrong. Everything that went wrong. And it's, it's totality. And, and what it is, is Jesus, as He dies, as He takes on our debt, as He takes on our payment, the thing we talked about on Good Friday, as He takes the sorrow and He takes the shame of this world and hangs under the weight of that, He turns that into a victory. He turns that into a victory. And what He does is He starts working on us. He starts inside, giving us a whole new heart. Fills us with a new spirit. In fact, he says, like, it's good that I'm going away. That's what Jesus says. It's good that I'm going away because as I go, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. Because Jesus resurrected, because He came back, and because He went back to be with the Father, He sends the Holy Spirit to us to give us a whole new spirit about us. Fixing the thing that goes so dark and so wrong every single Monday in you and in me. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I guarantee you I'm going to need more of Jesus' Spirit. 
And He's alive to send the Spirit to me and to you in order to fix what's gone primarily wrong in our society. You know, this is one of those things. You can. Uh, I just got back from. Uh, I just got back from France. Uh, we were in France this last week, and uh, I actually listened to an Irishman on uh, Saturday morning, and he said, "Oh, let's go downtown and see if we can smell some tear gas." I'm like, okay. But literally, we went downtown to where there was a big protest. Uh, there's this group called the Gilets Jaunes, the Yellow Jackets, who are protesting just the government as a whole in France. And literally, we're walking along, and all of a sudden, these guys in riot gear come marching out, and you hear, and tear gas comes rolling out like right in front of us. And so we walk behind the line of cops because they're not going to shoot tear gas at themselves until we realize that protesters grab canisters of tear gas and throw them back at the police. That was fun. Um, But anyway, so then we got to watch, you know, we had to watch this whole thing happen. And there were about 5,000 people that were there in the square and they burned a car and there were about 50 people that got hurt and got put in the hospital. And like, it it was not, it was not great. We almost got stuck. And we're sitting there in this uh, in this place downtown, and like tear gas is flooding into the place. And I'm next to this Irish guy talking to a guy from San Francisco, and I'm like, "Where am I?" But anyways, as I'm looking at that whole thing, I'm like, "I traveled all the way half across the world, halfway across the world, to see what I could see in the United States. People are messed up, and our answer to the world's problems is yelling and screaming and violence." This is what Jesus came to change in the resurrection. To change the way that you process, even the way that you you work out problems in your head, the way that you are going to approach everything. To Paul, the resurrection is not simply, not simply just Jesus being victorious over our sin. It is Jesus being victorious over our sin and our sickness and our answers and our philosophies and our world religious systems and all of that stuff. He's being victorious over that, standing up, saying, you know what? You guys have all been trying to beat death through whatever means, through education, through politics, through war, through violence, through religious systems, through whatever. You've been trying to beat death, but I did it. And he stands alive being able to say, follow me. Let me show you how this is done. It is through sacrifice. It is through humility. It is through love. It is through mutual respect. It is through bringing healing. It is through laying down your life for one another. That is the means that we, by which God will save and change the entirety of this earth. And that is what the resurrection means in Paul's mind. It's not simply you and I dying and being resurrected. It is a resurrection that starts now and works its way out as the rest of our life and all of eternity unfold. Because we are the first fruits along with Christ. But the resurrection of the dead starts with us, in us, and works its way out of us, and works its way even into the creation around us and all of the systems around us. This is what the resurrection does. It changes things to make them completely different, yet somewhat the same. It's the Greek word metamorphe. It's the idea of metamorphosis. It's in the, in the Greek language, but it's so much bigger than that in Paul's mind because God is changing things to where they're looking. Man, it's like, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's met Jesus and they look the same on the outside, 
but they're not the same anymore. You ever met somebody like that? And you're wondering, like, what happened to you? You look the same on the outside, but you're a totally different person. That is what Jesus is doing in the power of the resurrection. He is changing this place so that as we reckon, we're like, man, this looks like the same place, but it's different because the power of the resurrection has met this place. See, the power of the resurrection is the hope for this world. It's, it's what we need to truly live rightly. It's what we need to truly live a powerful life that has this powerful idea that the impossible is actually possible. That Jesus Christ is alive and that He is working right now. The resurrection represents all that humanity is striving for in its pursuits of technology and education and social welfare and government order and human services and on and on and on and on and on. These things, these systems will ultimately fail apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus rose from the dead and He proclaims all authority and all power and says this is the way that it is done. Come, follow me. See, the resurrection is a powerful idea. But it's more than that, too. Uh, if you're a note-taker, I'll throw some note-thingies up on, the, up on the screen so you feel like you got your money's worth. But the resurrection, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, it is our lifestyle. It is more than our lifestyle. It's our life path. It's our heartbeat. It is our ethic. It is our ethos. Whatever word you want to throw out there, it is the air that we breathe. It is the thing, the water we swim in. I mean, you can use whatever euphemism you want, but the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pattern of our life and the promise of our future. It is primarily these things that Paul addresses right in the very first verses of this passage where he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The gospel, the power of the resurrection, the good news of Jesus Christ is something we preach in word and in deed. It is something that is communicated and communicable. It is something that as you catch the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you're excited about who Jesus is and what He is doing in your life and how He has changed you, you will, you will talk about that. How can you not? I remember, I can go back in my mind um, all these many years. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a place where I knew the the name of Jesus. Uh, We went to church all the time. I gave my life to Jesus as a young person, but ran away from Him as a teenager. And I remember in my early 20s, back before... Winter, that person who was up here before trying to act like Minnie Brian, um, that person, she was, yeah, like, I didn't know I had to hire a comedian to warm up the crowd, but um, she did a great job. But Winter, before Winter was ever around, um, Jesus did something powerfully in, in my life. And I remember being excited about that. I remember trying to tell people things that are so hard to explain, like, I have feelings again. I can hear the voice of the Lord again. I have a conscience that tells me to stop using people and abusing people. Like, those were the things that I was all about. And Jesus changed that. And I remember being excited about that and excited to tell people. The gospel, the resurrection, is something that we preach both in word and in deed. We act it out and we do it. We live it out. The Christian message is not primarily one 
like we see in our society where we talk about just things we agree with or disagree with. It's not primarily a code of ethics and morality. The Christian message is that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He has the power to defeat death and he's granted that to me and I can live on the hope that he's given me. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, this is the gospel I preached to you, but which you received. And have now taken your stand. So the gospel is something, the power of the resurrection is something we receive. Listen, it is a, yes, it's an idea, it's a truth, it's something that happened, but primarily, here's the deal. You need to take the resurrection, the idea of the fact that Jesus Christ stands alive today, ruling and reigning over all and ruling and reigning over your life. You and I need to take that and embrace that and cling to that idea and say, Jesus, because you are so powerful, I've never met anybody that came back from the dead. You came back from the dead and you ascended to heaven. Tell me what to do with my life. It is yours because you are obviously more powerful and you are obviously more wise and you obviously have a better view of this life than I do. That is something as we embrace that, as a a Christian embraces that and lives, lives as if this life is not the only life there is, but that there is an entirety of eternity before you. As we embrace that and we live that out, Things change around us and within us. For me, one of the sticky points always is how safe is this choice? When Jesus asked us to come to Rapid City, we were driving away going, oh Lord, please don't send us to that place. No, actually, I don't know what we were saying. Well, actually, we were. We were like, Lord, that did not go so well. We came here, we candidated, we, you know, I preached, we met the 30 people that were around, and I was like, Lord, that's going to be really hard. I don't know if I want to do that. Are you sure this is the best choice? Are you sure this is the best choice? And what I was thinking is, I was thinking, it's going to be hard. It's going to cost money and time and energy. It's going to make this life really a pain. For a few years. Now, beautifully and wonderfully, this experience here with this church has been an amazing one. And Jesus has been working powerfully in the people that are here. And I've been able to see that, and it's a beautiful thing. But here's the deal. What gets at me always is I'm going, Jesus, are you sure that this is how I'm going to have the best experience in this life? And I've been with Him, walking with Him, studying Him, learning from Him enough to hear him say, oh fool, it's not about this life. See, the power of the resurrection is hope for another world, for another life, for a future that we have today. But it's also, the power of the resurrection is something we stand in, according to Paul. It's something you have you stand firm in. The resurrection gives you hope for forgiveness in relationships. It gives you the motivation to connect with people. For crying out loud, the reason we pray, right? We, we prayed as a group of people. You prayed with other people. The reason we pray is because Jesus can hear us. The reason He can hear us is because He's alive. That's what changes us. That's what motivates us. This is why we believe that this isn't just something we observe when we come here on a Sunday morning and pray. What we're doing here is we're coming to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who can hear our requests and knows what to do about them. And so we can lay our lives down at His feet. We can lay our friends down at His feet. We can ask for His help. We can ask for healing. We can ask for forgiveness. And we know that He hears. 
And finally, what Paul talks about here, and it's a shame, the NIV really translates this not great. He says, by this gospel you are saved. And it should be, by this gospel you are being saved. There's a continual active present verb that's going on there. By this gospel you are being saved. It is the thing that is saving you right now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive and He's working on you. He hasn't given up on you. Are you still on this planet? Are you breathing? Yeah? Great. Okay, good. He's still working. Every single day He's not done with you. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what happened to you this week. I don't know what things you ran into that are these painful, horrible kind of things of this existence. Or maybe you had a great and wonderful week, but I will tell you this. You've come to this moment to hear this. Jesus is working in you. You have not been drawn to this place by accident or by pancakes. You came to this place because Jesus drew you to work in you and to start doing something in your soul. Will you allow Him to do that? Will you partner with Him in doing that? See, the resurrection means you have a risen Savior who's working on you and leading you into truth and working in powerful ways in your life. Jesus has never done saving you. Which I love. Because like three times a week, I'm out going, Jesus, help! Maybe three times a day. Like, Jesus, help! I really screwed this up again. And He's just throwing life vest after life vest after life. See, the resurrection takes care of your past, your present, and your future. It is your life. It is the reality of your future. So I have a question for you today, and it's for you to answer. I'm going to ask you this question, talk about it real briefly, and then Matt's going to come up and lead us in another song. And it's a song of response to this question. Do you need a little resurrection in your life today? Has something gone dead? Has something gotten broken? Has something gone wrong and needs healing and needs power and needs something, someone to come in and fix it? On all days of every day that we could possibly ask this question, today it is of utmost importance. If you need resurrection, for crying out loud, it is there for you. Jesus has resurrected. He's come back from the dead. He is alive right now, ready to hear you, ready to listen to you, ready to do business in you, ready to work in you. That is the power of the resurrection, and it is the thing we stand in right now. If you need resurrection in your life because something has gone wrong. Ask Jesus for the help. Ask Jesus for the power of the resurrection. Ask Jesus for His life and for His spirit. And I will tell you that His word tells Him over and over and over again, seek Him and you will find Him. Come to Jesus. Ask for His resurrection power. Maybe He's going to resurrect something inside of you you don't want to come alive. But that's up to Jesus. Maybe for some of you, and this is where I was when I back when I was making you know jokes about winter not being around. But this is truly like that time in my life. What had gone wrong is I thought Jesus was here to make my life really great, to make me really great, 
to give me a good house and a great family and wonderful cars and all of the things and to make sure that I don't suffer. That's what I thought. And then I realized as He did something beautiful and powerful in my life that no, actually the deal was I needed to have this heart awakened to the fact that I needed to lay down my life and say no matter how far you want me to go, no matter what distance you want me to travel, no matter what I need to lay down, no matter what I need to sacrifice, that is it's, it's, it's not even enough. I, I can't lay down enough to repay Him. The idea is not to repay Him. In fact, it's simply a response of laying my life down and saying, Jesus, this is Yours. That's what was awakened in my heart. I didn't want that awakened. That's a huge life of sacrifice. So as you pray this, I'm just as you, as you respond to this, I'm going to give you a warning. Maybe you don't want your life changed. Jesus is the wrong God to follow if you don't want your life changed. Maybe you don't want this world to make sense. You just want to put on some blinders and watch Netflix till you die. Jesus is the wrong God for that choice. But if you want a life filled with meaning and the power of the resurrection, if you want to see things healed inside of you, you didn't even know were broken. If you want to see things healed outside of you in other people's lives that you didn't even know were broken. If you want to be able to have a life of prayer and a life of following and a life of meaning and purpose, a life that changes the fabric of this world, Jesus is the God to follow. Come follow Him. So let's pray and then we'll have Matt and the worship team come up. Jesus, You stand alive, able to hear us right now. When we were up on the hill this morning after uh, after a nice brisk hike, and we were able to pray to you, you could hear us then. As we go about our day and we run into family members and friends and maybe pain and maybe sorrow, Lord, you hear us then because of the beauty and the power of the fact that you stand alive resurrected to this day and you're the first fruits and we are following you because of that. Lord Jesus, we can come to you and we can ask for your healing. And I just pray for my friends here, Lord, that if there's any of them here who have, like something has gone wrong and broken and they know it, like right now they know it deep within the pit of their soul, something is going on and they know something's gone wrong and their world has gotten dark. I pray that they'll come to you and ask for healing. And ask for the power of your resurrection. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are a God who is alive. And we can follow you into eternity. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.